Hi, and welcome to Under an Open Heaven podcast. We are glad you are joining us as we explore the reality of God's love expressed in Scripture and our own personal experiences. Thanks for joining us today as we explore the reality that we live under an open heaven. Enjoy! Hey, welcome back to the podcast. My name is Arthur Richardson. I have with me Colton Jones, as always. Glad to have you back. You are listening to Under an Open Heaven. And we are on our third episode on how to worship. So today we're going to be talking about the Word of God, the Liturgy of the Word. And so just to preface what we're going to be getting into before we talk about uh, you know, all the different parts of Liturgy of the Word, let's talk about Scripture as a whole. So Colton, what are your, uh, what are your thoughts and ideas that you'd like to share with our audience today? Yeah, so Liturgy of the Word, um, I think it's an overlooked part of the Mass. I think the highlight for most Catholics when it comes to the Mass is the Liturgy of the Eucharist, which of course, you know, we're going to get to in the future. But for right now, um, I think the reason why it's overlooked is probably because it's a little bit dry, in my opinion. Mm. Um, The Liturgy of the Word, to me, seems just like you're you're sitting down and you're having information given to you at first glance that's how it seems well i don't think that anymore uh and in reality i don't really think that anymore because i'm approaching the mass through the lens of christ as both first first and foremost god and man but not just physically man or physically God and this, you know, whatever that means. But in reading uh, the first chapter of St. John, we learn that Christ is the word of God that was with God throughout all of time. Uh, the word in Greek meaning logos. So uh, an- another way to use that is the utterance of God. We often, we, we call scripture the word of God as well. And that's not really a coincidence that we call both Christ the word of God, but also scripture, the word of God. It's because scripture is Christ, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's the working of God in us, us people, us humans throughout all of history. And, uh, you know, we, we, we had discussed before we started recording that the salvation that Christ brought us didn't just start whenever he was crucified. It didn't start at that moment. It extended both ways throughout history. You know, um, God wasn't just saving us at a particular moment in the, you know, as the person of Christ on the cross, he was saving us throughout all of history. And he was able to do that because his, his salvation that he brought extended in both directions. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, were we to maybe hear something from the old Testament, especially if it's particularly dry from Leviticus or something like that, uh, it's pretty hard to see how Christ was working in that. But then as we read the new Testament and we really start digging into, uh, the significance of the certain symbols that were being brought up, um, in the old Testament, like in the book of Exodus, 
the snake wrapped around a stick, you know, the bronze serpent Mm -hmm. being the sign of healing for the people where the thing that was killing the people became that which healed them. That seems like a really weird thing to have in Exodus. Like where's the precedence for that in history that, you know, um, an image of destruction and death became the image of something that healed them. Then fast forward when Christ made it happen on the cross, he became that, that, that image of death held up to all of us in that image by that action that Christ did, we are saved. And so it's, it's kind of like the old Testament only makes sense, only really makes sense through the lens of what Christ did. And that's because he was there when it was written. He was there, um, at all the events that are accounted in the historical accounts, but also he was there to inspire the, uh, prophecy that the prophet spoke because he was the word with them. Absolutely. And, uh, so when I start considering the liturgy of the word through that lens, the word isn't, you know, the, the reading from the old Testament, the Psalm and the second reading and the gospel aren't just words or information or an account of something that had happened. This reveals something true, something deeply real about the second person of the Trinity, Christ. So to discount it offhand, not a good move uh, whatsoever. And uh, St. Paul knew this too. So back in the day before the printing press, before um, literature and literacy became widespread, people had to listen to others who were, you know, literate. And they came to faith, not by being able to read the, you know, for themselves, but by listening. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that we've lost a lot of, um, being people who are in a well-developed country and are capable of reading. We often take for granted the fact that we don't have to hang on people's words as much. Mm-hmm in order to gain knowledge that is vital for our spiritual well-being, Because if we're able to read, it's in a book sitting on our shelf. Um, or so, on our phone. Or on our phone. Or in an audio book that we can access at any moment. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's yeah. kind of on that thought, it's very interesting. We are no longer dependent upon another person or community. We're dependent upon mm-hmm. ourselves, right? To find enlightenment and all of that. Yeah. It's, it, it, that's just very interesting. Um, so before when we were talking as well, and I'd like to kind of highlight some of some of these other points along with what you're saying, um, maybe an undercurrent of what you're saying. So in, in creation, the beginning of creation, right? The word was God and the word was with God. That in John 1 is referencing the first story of creation. There's actually two. (laughs) Christ's life itself is a reference to the second story of creation, where God bends down to the earth, scoops up earth, molds it into man and woman, and breathes into their nostrils, right? There is an aspect there that 
both can't be true in a historical fact sense, but both need to be true for us to understand our identities in relationship to God. Mm-hmm. That our relationship to him is, is one of both majesty, but also closeness. That it's his word, it's his breath that fills our lungs. It's him that is doing all these wonderful, wild things in our lives. And even more so, you had mentioned like salvation, just like stretching out from Christ, you know, in the past and in the future, you know, almost, if you will, uh, stretching out from his left to his right hand, mm-hmm. you know, past right. to future and pinning it to the wood of the cross. Um, mm-hmm. His words that he uttered into the mouth, through the mouth of the prophets of the joys of the sorrows of, of everything. When we really listen, we begin to, at least for me, when I really listen, <laughs> I begin to feel this connection. You had mentioned um, this upcoming Sunday, there's going to be a, a reading from Habakkuk. Would you mind just sharing that real quick? Sure. Yeah. So the first reading of the mass is often from the old Testament, especially on a Sunday. Mm -hmm. Uh, just the opening line here, I might not go through the whole reading, but, um, yeah, if we consider Christ's action throughout history and then read the, and and especially like his, his indwelling in the prophets, especially Mm because that's, that's what they're known for is speaking the word of God. Well, what do their words say? You know, Mm -hmm. Habakkuk says, how long, O Lord, I cry for help, but you do not listen. I cry out to you violence, but you do not intervene. Why do you let me see ruin? Why must I look at misery? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and clamorous discord. So it's, you wouldn't expect someone maybe, I mean, that's, that's, that's a a pretty, um, that's pretty strong words for God. Uh, in what does this reveal about Christ? You might say that just sounds like someone who's really struggling with, you know, some bad stuff happening in their life. Uh, if, if this is the word of God, then what, what is it revealing about Christ? It's revealing that he's capable of suffering. I mean, if you look at the cross, boom, it's not, Mm -hmm. it's not something stoic, right? This is, this is the beautiful thing is that Christ's suffering I'm going to reference St. Paul here. Christ's suffering is made complete in my life, in my suffering, in my joys, for that matter, right? That is a very mystical expression that St. Paul talks about in in his letters and and in his life, right? He almost uh, Mm -hmm. alludes to the fact that he's got Christ's wounds in his body. We ourselves, we experience Christ's wounds in our bodies, regardless of whether or not we've got, for those of our Catholic listeners, the stigmata or not. You know, when I was a kid, I actually Mm -hmm. craved to be like St. Francis and have the stigmata. I had no idea what I was asking for. (laughs) I I prayed. I prayed for it. I'm not going to lie. As a kid. Weird kid. I know. Anyway. That's nothing new. I know. I mean, look at me now. I've got a podcast. 
<laughs> talking weird about kid, right weird adult anyway uh <laughs> weird kid weird adult anyway but there was a i think there was a desire that jesus was pleased to grow in me there was a mystery of my life bringing to fruition the Christ's passion, not just his suffering, but Christ's passion, right? What is passion but intense desire? There's a reason why we mm-hmm. call his suffering his passion. He wouldn't have gone through it if he didn't have a passion for us. He wanted me to experience his passion for me to such a point where we became one. It's very interesting. If we look at the word of God in such a way that we are no longer looking from it from a biased perspective of historically there's a division of Protestants versus Catholics. Protestants it's is only the word, you know? And for Catholics it's tradition and sacraments and we're gonna not really highlight the word anymore. But if we look at it in an unbiased tr- perspective of tradition and God's word, we might begin to really see the depth of God's love for us in a new way. I certainly did when I started, like kind of letting go of like maybe the the biases that I had of scriptures for the Protestants. I have the tradition, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, when I started letting go of that, I began to experience God's passion for me in a way that was a little bit more real, in a way that his love for me was being fulfilled by my entering into his passion, you know, entering into a relationship that is a brotherhood, a marriage of souls, if you will, right? Like that's throughout all of scripture is pointing, pointing to a wedding feast and it's between Christ and the church. I'm a part of the church. Mm -hmm. this is what the mass is pointing to so in the song of songs between the lover and and the one being loved right the 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 bride and the bridegroom the bridegroom is trying to woo his lover out of her walls out of her safeguards out of the defenses Jesus is trying to get us through his word out of our walls, out of our defenses, into a place of vulnerability and into a place where we're able to receive him in such a way that changes our lives. Uh And I think that's the whole point of the liturgy of the word. And if we don't really enter into that, that can be kind of problematic, right? Because if we're so focused in on the Eucharist, and we should be, but we are not actually discerning him and allowing the the Holy Spirit to be stirred up within us to discern his body correctly in the right manner. We, we might be, we might be actually leading our own selves into sin due to a prejudice of not wanting to enter into the word of God as fully as we could or Mm -hmm. out of boredom. So, I mean, the, the the action of having the liturgy of the word precede the 
liturgy of the Eucharist is not a mistake, because that's how history plays out. God came to us as the Word, first and foremost. Um, he came to us through the prophets, through the law, through um, the kings, through history, and the Word of God was sacred to Judaism, to early Christianity. It was sacred all of the way up. Mm -hmm. And then the word became man, took on flesh and dwelt among us. So we, we shouldn't underestimate the importance of the liturgy of the word and the importance of allowing the word of God to prepare us to receive the body of Christ, you know? Because mm -hmm. um, God just wants to be all the, all the more within us. So... Um, I have this habit whenever I go to mass, I, I, I am very easily visually distracted by things all over the place. I pick up on very small details or all around me. So if something is just slightly out of place or there's something off, that's where my attention goes. So my habit that I formed in order to just try to hone my attention in on the scriptures is I just close my eyes. I don't care if I look weird just a guy standing up. It's like, is this guy like sleeping or trying to doze off or something? Like, no, I'm trying to close my eyes so I don't get distracted. And that's, uh, I find that that's what helps me enter in and prepare to, um, gain faith through hearing. Like Paul said in Romans, mm -hmm. um, Arthur, what is one of your ways of opening yourself up to the word of God? Yeah. Um, the best experiences that I have is when I ask the Holy spirit to speak to me just outright, you know, mm -hmm. um, my wife, I think her best experiences happen when she prepares beforehand. So when she like actually looks at the scripture passages before, you know, the, before the mass, um, but on a, on a daily experience of, of going to mass, if I don't have time to repair beforehand or just due to distraction or whatever, I don't intentionally ask the Holy spirit to speak to me. I find that I still have a lot of fruitful um, interactions with with God's word, with Jesus, when I just listen. When I, I try to do the same um, techniques that I would for active listening. So rather than um, thinking of what I would like to say, like what would I like to say in the homily? I Honestly, I've thought that quite a few times of like, well, if I was a priest, what would I talk about? You know, <laughs> um, I don't know. That's not probably a temptation that everybody else feels, but it's something that I, I have to like, no, not here to think about that. You know, um, I know daydreaming is a big problem for a lot of people, right? Um, just at the, at the core of active listening is actually listening to the heart of what's being said. So not just the words that are being used in the sequence that they're being used. Like, uh, I, I use an example of, of a married couple, you know, uh, wife gets home or is done with work or whatever and wants to go talk to her husband who just got done with work, just got home. Husband sits down to read the newspaper or watch TV or play video games or whatever to decompress. And you'll find that they're, the same thing is usually said as the wife is talking, the husband is 
able to repeat the words right back, but his eyes are on the TV, the newspaper, the book, whatever it is. She'll accuse him of not listening, and then he'll repeat exactly what she said right back. But the question is, can he... One, did he make her feel heard? But also the second one is, did he understand what she was saying? Or did is he able just to repeat it back? Right, so that's the challenge that I think of active listening, is being able to listen with what is the intent of being, what's being said? What are you actually trying to communicate? What is the heart of what you're trying to share with me? And you have to set a safe place for the other person. Meaning, whatever you say is going to be respected. Whatever I say is going to be respected. But whatever problem you or whatever thing you bring up, we're going to talk about that first. Right? So that's, I think, a huge thing when it comes to scriptures. Right? That's Jesus' space to say what he needs to say to us. Right. There are four different places that and we're going to get into this, that Jesus has an opportunity to talk to us. Um, and each of those things might be a different, a different thing that he's trying to communicate to us. It might be a correction. It might be a, a, a word of love. It might be, you're not alone. It might be, you might be feeling like you are alone, you know, <laughs> like crying out that you are asking for my help and I'm not listening to you. You know, there's so many, it might even just be a story, a story that depicts the human experience. But the thing is, is that we've got to be mature enough to be able to set a safe space within our hearts and our minds to be able to receive that word in a way that we're not defensive or we're not dismissive in a way that we can receive God uh, and I think this is kind of a temptation that a lot of Christians or non-Christians might face. An objective uh, objection that I've heard quite a bit. Uh, scripture contradicts itself. No. No. We have to actually listen to the essence of what's being communicated to us from Christ. There's a lot of nuance in each of us, even more so in Jesus. He is not just man, but God. Right, So there's a nuance that we need to truly be able to hear and receive. So that's, for me, those are my two things, uh, active listening and asking the Holy Spirit to speak to me. Yeah, and I quickly wanted to cover basically the structure of the liturgy of the mm -hmm. word. Um, the structure starts off with the first reading. Most often it's from the Old Testament. Uh, and just because it's from the Old Testament does not mean it's outdated. Mm -hmm. Although the Old Covenant is replaced with the New Covenant in Christ, um, Christ is present, oozing from the pages of the Old Testament. That's like to the point where even the uh, the prophet Isaiah was called like the fifth gospel, just because it's just evident mm -hmm. how much Christ was guiding. Uh, well, the Holy Spirit you know, of course, guiding the prophet to write the words yeah. of God, who, you know, Christ being the word of God. Anyway, uh, and we, in reference to what you had mentioned about um, <clears throat> people's objections to uh, inconsistencies or contradictions in scripture, we got to remember that a lot of scripture, it's, it's not all historical facts. It's a wide range of genres. Of course, we can talk about Song of Songs. Song of Songs is poetry. It's love poetry mm -hmm. at that. 
uh, Genesis. It's multiple genres within the book of Genesis itself. You know, specifically the first three chapters are, you know, epic poetry. And uh, then you have a a sort of pseudo um, historical account of the history of early Israel from Abraham to Jacob uh, and onward. And so, you know, there's, there's so the, the, the old Testament is diverse in oozing everywhere with Christ Mm -hmm. presence. So, um, we got to keep that in mind. Next is the book of Psalms, which occurred, um, primarily through David's reign. And, uh, it was right around that time of the, the, the King of Israel was, you know, immediately David's line, David and Solomon. Mm -hmm. And, uh, these were songs that these were Psalms. And so there, it was primarily poetry. Uh, it was poetry. It was designed and meant to praise God and to express the heart to God. Yeah. Um, you know, famously Psalm 52 was expressing the deep regret of sin in the heart Mm -hmm. that David had. Um, and, uh, and yeah, in a lot of ways um, it's a cry of the soul soul. It's the cry of the soul in order to be able to connect to God from a human experience. And what's even Mm -hmm. just really interesting and significant about this is that these actually were, uh, connected to, um, liturgical reform. Uh, yeah, moving on the second reading, these are usually letters from the different apostles to different churches. This is a place where, uh, the apostles have an opportunity to correct, to share or encourage or just explain the gospel uh, to a, a group of, of believers in, in such a way to try to draw them into unity with Christ. Um, then we have the gospel. This is this is the gospel. Just translates in Greek to good news. This is the accounts of Jesus's life, right? So this is the stories, the first or second hand accounts of Jesus's impact on the world. And then finally the homily. I think this is probably where a lot of Catholics maybe put a lot of emphasis on the quality of the mass, which is, I think a danger, but regardless, we'll talk about what uh, the homily is. It's supposed to be a, the, the priest or the bishop or whoever deacon, priest, bishop, connecting all four readings of the mass and connecting them to the daily life, right? The daily spiritual journey with our connection to Jesus, right? So kind of what we were talking about, that mystical connection that we have from our love between Jesus and us, that passion of Jesus in our lives. That's what their role is to try to connect that. So what do we have? What do we do if the homily is boring? Well, there's a lot of different things, obviously kind of going back to preparing ourselves. That's probably the best way. Um, and what do you do if the priest doesn't even address the scripture much? Well, again, allowing the Holy spirit to speak to you even through his words, but more importantly, doing, doing yourself a favor and allowing the Holy spirit to speak to you. And not allowing yourselves to ourselves to be 
maybe a quote unquote a victim of maybe somebody else's inability to to communicate well, right? But allowing the Holy Spirit, who is the one who connects us to Jesus, connect us well. Yeah. Yeah, I think the remedy to that last one is just begin to actually have active participation in the Mass. Yeah. Don't treat it as a passive process. So, um, unfortunately, I got to go, but I will leave our listeners with a challenge. The next time you hear Scripture, and this is important, hear Scripture, because remember, faith, uh, Paul talks, faith comes through he- hearing. So, allow yourself to actually hear it. Um, maybe use that hermeneutic, to use a fancy word that I love using, <laughs> use that hermeneutic as understanding that the word of God is Christ. Mm -hmm. So what is the scripture revealing about Christ? Um, Approach scripture, whatever you hear, whenever you hear it, uh, approach scripture that way and let that sort of prepare your heart. Jesus, we thank you for your word and we ask you to bless us and to fill us with your Holy spirit that we might be more malleable and more open to hearing your words in our lives, both in the Mass, in your book, in your library. (laughs) And we ask that you fill us up with your life and with your love. We ask this in your most holy name. Amen. We hope you have a wonderful day. Take care, and God bless. See you next week. Bye. Thank you all so much for joining us this week. We hope that this podcast blessed you. And we ask if it did, share that with the people that you love so that it can bless them as well. If you want to reach out to us, we are available on Facebook. We are under an open heaven. Our email address is under an openheaven.fire at gmail.com. And we are on Instagram at under an openheaven.fire. So Please go uh, give those a gander and send us any any feedback that you want. We would be happy to reply to you. God bless. Bye.